I'm Jenny Scott, and you're listening to episode 26 of the In This Skin podcast. Each week on the show, I invite a guest to share where she is in the journey in being comfortable in her own skin. And our goal is simple, to encourage and inspire you to be comfortable with yourself, understanding that a creative God made you just as you are with a distinct purpose for His kingdom. As I have talked to women in all stages of life, I have learned that loving ourselves, body, personality, and spirit does not come naturally. It takes purpose and intention, and for most of us, it is quite honestly a struggle. But it's a struggle we often deal with silently and alone. And that's why I started this podcast, to open the conversation about a topic that we all face and to bring the dark parts of the struggle into the light of God's love. My simple hope for you is that as you listen, something you hear will encourage you to live confidently in the skin you wear and to be full of hope that the God of all love looks at you with delight. My guest for today's show is Kendra Fletcher. Kendra is an author and a mom of eight, and the title of one of her books is what first drew my attention to her. It is called Leaving Legalism, and when I saw it, I was immediately intrigued. I wanted to know her story, so I emailed her on a whim and asked if she would be willing to be on the show. She said yes, obviously, and I'm so grateful she did because we had such a rich conversation about how our faith cannot be based on a formula. We can put in certain behaviors and expect certain results from God, but that's not really the way it works. And Kendra talks about getting caught up in a lifestyle that tried to teach her that and what it looked like to walk away from that formulaic faith and really start over. So if you're one of those people like I am who likes rules and who wishes you could know what to expect on your faith journey, I really think listening to this conversation will help open your eyes to some things like it did for me. So, you guys, here is my conversation with Kendra Fletcher. If you will, just tell everybody what your life sort of looks like on a daily basis. You know, where you live, what your family's like, that sort of thing. Yeah, so we actually live in California. My husband and I born and raised. And um, so we live in a state nobody else wants to live in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We, we couldn't leave it. We love it. And um, all these years ago, we uh, decided we were going to have a million children. So instead of a million, we had eight, but it <laughs> <laughs> feels enough. like a million sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, we didn't, we didn't, when we got married, we never said that. We were joking about it the other day. Like, how did we, how did this happen? <laughs> what did we, get, when did we get to this point where we had so many people in our house? Um, so anyway, they now are, uh, only three of them are still at home full time. Um, we have, uh, let's see, we have a 26, a 24 who's married and has a brand new baby. So we're grandparents. I know it's super fun. Uh, 21-year-old, 20-year-old, 18-year-old, <laughs> and then our, our children at home are 15, 12, and 11. Um, so, and I, I've been joking that this year I'm living my worst life now because <laughs> <laughs> that's not a great book title, huh? No, it's not. But for the first time in 10 years, I don't have another driver <laughs> and oh. my kids, my kids are in three different school situations, three different districts, three different, we're homeschooling one through a chart. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. I have a special needs child on the bottom end and we have to get him on the bus every morning. And it's just I'm like, how did this happen? What, this is terrible. So that's a lot of finagling. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, I only have two kids. Um, so not a million or not even eight, but you know, just the carpool in the mornings, it takes me most days about 45 minutes. I'm sure it takes you longer, but I mean, that's just a nightmare. 
It is a nightmare. And when you, when you're a person who loves productivity, unfortunately that can be an idol in my life. It is so hard for me to be in the car all the time. So I have conquered many audiobooks this year. Um, but I just, I, I'm like, this is, I'd forgotten. <laughs> it's been a decade and this is, this is terrible. Yes. You <laughs> so, have to go back to being the yeah. chauffeur. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. I want to talk about audiobooks. I just can't do it. Kendra, I can't, yeah. I lose yeah. focus. Yeah. What am I missing? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think I did that more in the beginning um, when I was when I kind of switched over to doing the audiobook thing. I I would do that too, and so now it's just a little bit of training, you know, having trained my ear or my brain. But I also give myself a ton of grace. Like if I walk out of the room and forget it's still on, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> that happens, or um, I you know whatever, I, I'll just go back and rewind, and it's not a big deal, you know. So yeah. and I just have the hardest time concentrating on an actual book. I'm reading a an actual book right now, like a paper, you know, turn the pages <laughs> kind of book. And the um, old school book. Yeah. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> so anyways, you know, so it funny. is what it is. I know. Well, I've been listening to more podcasts lately. So maybe that is training my ear to be able to concentrate for, you know, longer audio books. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also depends on the reader, doesn't it? So I, there was a very popular book that I read or listened to this year and I absolutely hated the book. And I realized why did, why everybody loved this book? I think it was the reader. <laughs> I oh, love the yeah. reader. <laughs> no, that makes sense because yeah. when I read a book, you know, like an actual physical paper book, there are voices in my head and I yes. you know, just assume that's what that character sounds like or what the narrator sounds like. And so I would imagine with an audio book, if it's not the, the right kind of voice that would make a difference in how you perceive the book, whether it was, you know, a great book or not, just how you hear yeah. it. And it is okay, like give yourself the the permission to say, I don't like this reader. I don't like this story. We're done here. We're just going to move on to something else. So yes, when I taught ninth grade, that's what I used to tell my kids. You know, life is too short to read bad books. If you're not into it after a few chapters, it's okay. You can abandon the book and move on with life. Yeah. Yep, yep. So good. Okay. Well, speaking of books, we, we need to talk about your writing. Um, because my first exposure to you somehow, I don't even know how, but I think it was Facebook. Um, I saw the title of your book, leaving legalism. Mm. And I just thought that is a book I need to read. So I immediately ordered it, read it. And then that's when I got in contact with you. I was like, we need to talk. I need to have her on the show. So I would love for you to tell everybody, um, who hasn't read your book yet, sort of the premise behind it, why you wrote it, just give everybody an overview of what that book is about. Sure. Well, this book is really um, the the response to people who had read my first book called Lost and Found. Um, and people were saying to me, okay, I'm in this very rigid or I'm in this... Um, I'm in this church that that preaches a, a Christianity that's graceless, that um, forgets the gospel. You know, it's just all it's just a litany of try harder, do more. And I need out, but I don't know how to do that. You know, like how or I have left this legalistic situation. Or I was raised in this legalistic home or church or whatever. And and I have left and there's all kinds of wreckage and I don't know how to reconcile that. Mm. So this book was really a response to people reaching out and saying, please help. How do, how do I do this thing or that thing? Which is sort of a funny irony because I spend so much time in lost and found saying it's not about how, what you do. <laughs> yeah. You know? and people are saying, give me the list, like, tell me how to do this, you know? So, um, so really that's why that book was written. We, we were 
I was raised in a believing home. My parents are passionate believers. My brothers are both in ministry. Um, it's a loving, lovely Christian family. Um, and then my husband came to faith in high school and, and just through our own pride and fear, uh, early on in our marriage with kids, you know, like there's no blueprint, there's no, <laughs> there's no, Unfortunately. There's no rule book. And so we just got, found ourselves, um, descending into this very legalistic, very, um, promise, you know, promises were made. If you behave this way, if you do these things, if you parent this way, then these things will happen or then God will be pleased with you. Um, and so that, that's how we, how we fell down the legalism rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. So for anybody who's listening, who might not understand what we mean when we use the term legalism, how would you describe that? Like, how did it show up in your life, in your church experience? Yeah. So that, that's a really good question because I think a lot of people, all of us will say, I'm not a legalist. No, no. I believe that, that Jesus paid it all. I, I believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes, absolutely. And we never left that belief. Um, but I think every single one of us at some point then says, okay, so now I, I got that. I got it. Tell me what to do. Yep. <laughs> you know, or what does it look like? Or, oh, the messages that are subtle, some of them are very subtle, but others are, are overt. And and one of the messages we were told when we first began homeschooling our oldest child, which by the way, was not at all for any faith-based reasons. It was, mm. it was it had very much to do with um, educational options in the city we live in, um, his, pre- his precociousness, you know, just all these things that were like, hmm, you know what, maybe we'll just do kindergarten and, and we'll see how things go at home. You know, we'll just do this at home. Um, but in the midst of that, the overt message at the time was homeschooling will save your kids. Mm. And if you don't homeschool them, well, then you are just feeding them to, to the Romans. And, <laughs> you know, you are, they're going to be, they're going to become worldly. They're going to, you know, all these things. And so, you know, you, you begin to think, well, wow, gosh, this, this probably is the better thing. This is what we should be doing. So slowly, subtly, I think we add things to that. God will be pleased with us if we make these choices. And then our pride floods into that for us specifically, Mm -hmm. our pride flooded in. And we, we began to think, well, we're just doing it right. Well, we're parenting the right way. Well, we're growing kids God's way. (laughs) You know, we're doing all the things we're doing it right. And our kids will turn out to be just stellar Christians, (laughs) which is our heart, right? We want our kids to follow Jesus, but um, yeah. So, and I think if it's not, educational choices for families, or if it's not parenting, it's something that we add to what Christ has already done and somehow think that God will be more pleased with us or, um, life will be better (laughs) if we make these choices or, uh, maybe there's some people pleasing for a lot of us too. Like, Oh, Oh, the people in my church will really think, you know, I, I'm serious about my faith or whatever those things are. So at its base and core, it's, I always say it's it's just hope shifting. We shift our hope to something that isn't the gospel that that we think is going to somehow fill this need in our heart, whether that's approval, you know, mm-hmm. for us, I think it was like feeling like we were what we were doing, what we were spending our time doing was approved, um, whether it's having a community that we feel loves us, you know, all of these things that we we just subtly add to grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone. 
Yeah, absolutely. It becomes sort of a, a works-based operation again. And it's almost like we are people who need an equation. You know, if yes. if we do this plus this, then this is the guaranteed result. And obviously, that's not the way it works. But in our minds, we we have a hard time reconciling that we can't control, we can't manipulate outcomes. Um, and that's just so difficult. And, and one of the things that I'm curious about is how all of this, um, you know, legalistic behavior and all of that, how that interfered with your identity, you know, as a family, as a believer, as a mother, as a homeschooler, all of those things. How did that change the way that you saw yourself? Oh, yeah, it was huge. I mean, I saw myself in light of what our community was informing us um, that, you know, were the right choices or were the godly things or whatever. And so um, my identity was so wrapped up in all the things I was doing and how I was doing them. And I see this uh, mostly because I've been <laughs> I've been homeschooling people for 22 years, you know, mm-hmm. and so I've, I've been part of this community for so long and, and I see it glaringly in pockets of this community, but I also see it glaringly in pockets of Christendom as a whole. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a Lutheran and I will always be a Lutheran. I was born a Lutheran. I will die a Lutheran, you know, Oh, yeah. not me. I'm assemblies of God. And we're, you know, we're doing it this way or we're doing it that way. And, and I just sit back now and I sort of think, I wonder if God just shakes his head and thinks we're all just so foolish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we we have we see through a dark gl- or a glass dimly. Right. Mm-hmm. We see we see only part of who God is. And 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 it's so much simpler than we want it to be. It's so much simpler. We just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He does these things in our lives. He does the change. He he makes us more like him. He he works the sanctification. And the truth is we get to just breathe, you know, mm. but I don't see anywhere else in our human economy that this is the thing. I mean, everywhere else in the way we live, I think this is the catch. Everything else is an equation. Everything yeah. else is a, if you work hard, then, you know, if you study hard, then if you you know, work hard, plant all the plants in the fall, in the spring. Well, that's California in the fall, <laughs> in the spring, you know, this will be the, you will reap what you sow. And that's not the gospel. And I think we have a hard time grasping that or even really believing it. So that that's, I think, uh, you know, a huge portion of this is our unbelief. We really can't believe it's that good, that God loves us that much. Yeah. No, I love that you said that, that it goes back to unbelief because we would probably not admit that we would not see that to be the truth, but Mm -hmm. at its core, that's really what it is. Um, We have a hard time believing that grace really is a gift, you know, that there's nothing to be earned. There's nothing to be added to it. And I think the fact that it is so counter to what we naturally believe is proof that it's true. You know, (laughs) like if if it were something that we could understand and that we could manipulate, then then it wouldn't be necessary. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Right. We don't need Jesus because we can just be Jesus, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that yeah. Preacher right there. that's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. So the process of then leaving that legalism. Yeah. What did that look like for you specifically? What steps did you have to take? What misconceptions did you have to break? Um, yeah. You know, what relationships maybe suffered? Talk about that process. Oh, it was huge. I mean, it was a severing of a community we had been a part of for um, uh, almost 10 years. 
And so, you know, this is this is the community our children had grown up in. These were our friends. This was we don't have family local um, to us. We we live far away from our families, and so for us, it was our family. It was um, it was who our children knew. It was who had our back. You know, it was all of those things. And and interestingly, now um, ten years out of all of that. We are in a church where we have a very large denomination in this town um, where people have have left that very legalistic denomination and are, you know, there's fallout. And I just I'm like, God, you are so you're so smart because you you made us go through that. And we can so understand what these Mm -hmm. people are dealing with, even though we didn't grow up in their community. So it is, you know, part of leaving legalism, that's the trick. That's, that's part of what is so difficult. You are, you are turning your back on everything you knew to be true or, or a community. Um, I, I mean, I think this is true for many sects and denominations, um, for cults, uh, people leaving, you know, different groups that, that were everything about their life you know, for the most part, maybe not their work situation, but, but everything else. Um, and so that's part of the difficulty that, that was painful. Our, yeah. our kids, our oldest kids at the time were 17 and 15. Um, and they, they were really the two that were the most affected by all of it. Um, our younger kids, you know, our youngest children really have no memory of any of that. Uh, but, the, uh, you know, the oldest two there, there's fallout. There's definite yeah. fallout. We had to take those two sons out um, shortly after we left the church community we were in and apologize. I mean, we just had to sit them down and say, you guys, we were so prideful and we, we just got it wrong, you know, and mm-hmm. we, 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 we presented a God to you who is angry and disappointed with you and who we could never, any of us measure up to the standard but that's the point. Like we, none of us can ever measure up to the standard, you know, but, but here's Jesus. Um, and so those, you know, that was hard. Those were hard, hard decisions to make, um, painful. And then there was the theology side of it and, and me spending a good five years, uh, after we left that church community saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what is everything I've just adopted in my life? And, and from before that legalism, from a from an evangelical Western evangelical upbringing, you know what I, I began to really pull apart everything and say, what is scripture? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And what is just all this stuff, you know, mm. that was just added culturally to what I thought of being a Christian was. Um, so that's a process, and it's it's hard. There were there were times of of anger, lots of anger. I, I feel like maybe going through the the steps of grief is terrible. Yeah. You know, you, you go through loss and disappointment and anger, and then finally you sort of reconcile with it and, and you realize you're free. Mm. Yeah. That makes me think of, um, I have your book right here in front of me. And one of the things that I underlined is, um, you wrote, we had forgotten the freedom given to us through the gospel. And I just think that's so huge for so many believers that when we do make it all about our behavior and the the actions that we are going through, we forget the freedom that is offered to us. Um, and, and I love that you, you, you chose the word given to us. You know, the freedom is given to us because we feel like we have to earn it. Um, yeah. So 
you sort of answered this, I think, already, but I want you to add to it. You know, how now do you protect yourself from sliding back into a life of legalism or at least times of legalism? Because I think that is so natural for us. Um, there was a song several years ago, and I'm not sure who the artist was, but it was called Slow Fade. And I love that because I think that's often what happens in our walk with the Lord is we don't realize what we're doing. It's just a slow fade, a slow drift into mm-hmm. legalism, for example. So so what now do you do to protect yourself, your children from sliding back into that that lifestyle? Yeah, it's funny. I thought the song you were going to say was, whoops, I did it again. <laughs> Okay, well, that one too. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I feel like every morning I'm like, dang, I did it again. <laughs> you know? um, and part of it is uh, a way we speak in our home now. Um, verbiage we use here, verbiage we use in the in the church community we're in now, which isn't which doesn't have it all sewn up. <laughs> and I mean, that's part of the realization is realizing like, oh, we're on a fallen earth and, you know, no church has this all in the bag. Um, But there's some, there are some practical things we say to one another. And, and one is like, my husband will, will just look at me and say, is there any hope shifting in that? You know, if I'm telling him something about, well, I feel like I need to do this and we've got to, you know, oh, I've just, and he'll just look at me and say, wait a minute, is there, are you hope shifting in there anywhere? You know, I'm just like, I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, and, and it, it is that little check of like, oh, yeah, am I hoping that this thing is going to bring me, you know, this outcome apart from God having my back and God orchestrating my life exactly the way he's designed it to be? Um, do I really trust him or do I need to scramble to do these things? Uh, I'll give you a practical example. Our youngest, um, as I said, is a has spe- is special needs. He, he had a, a virus when he was a baby that left him with brain damage. And there were a lot of years in there early on where I was just looking for the magic bullet, you know, like surely this will be the thing. And okay, now we're going to try this therapy and this will, this will really do it. Or, oh, okay, I'm getting a behaviorist and she'll really help us, you know? And there, there was a a time within the year that I spent with a behaviorist where God just showed me very graciously that I was looking for this thing. I was shifting my hope to something that was different than what he was going to give us. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I finally was able to sort of let that go and realize there's no magic bullet there, he has six holes in his brain. They're not going to just one day fill in, (laughs) you know, he, there's these behaviors, the things living with him is just going to be hard and, and leaning on what God is going to give us day to day is exactly where he wanted us to be. And darn it, I wanted the magic bullet, you know, like yeah. I wanted to solve and I wanted to put all my hope in in this thing over here or that thing over there. And and God just reminded me like your hope's in me yeah. and, uh, and and I've got this and it's going to be hard, but but I've got it. Yeah. So that, you know, I think we all do that subtly in one way or another. Oh, I hope this. Oh, well, if I could only do this or if we could only have or we could. And and that I think right there is is the red flag that we're shifting our hope to something other than than God. So it's a daily, daily thing. No joke. It's a daily thing to say, oh, Kendra, your hope is in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story because accepting the hard doesn't mean that you don't have faith in God. And I right. think sometimes we we think that having faith 
that loving Jesus, surrendering to him is going to somehow negate the hardship or take away the struggles. And that's not it at all. Um, But it's also not just resigning yourself to, okay, well, this is how things are going to be. It's, It's a different mindset of not just, okay, well, this is the hand I've been dealt, but how is God going to work in this? If this is the situation that I'm currently faced with and it is not changing, okay, then what, what is the purpose here? What is the purpose for my son? What is the purpose for me? What is the purpose for our family? Right. And in that is also the truth and the knowledge that my identity is in what Jesus has already done. I don't need to prove myself as, Mm. you know, I don't need to be this stellar special needs mom. (laughs) You know, I don't need to be, I don't need to be anything really. Jesus has paid it all. He he did it all. Uh, And one of my, I have a friend who uh, I just, I just love this woman so much. She has three sons with autism. Oh wow! <laughs> just wrapping my head around that is just, and one day we were talking and I said something like, but if, you know, I da, 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 da. And she's looked at me and she said, nah, uh, uh, the cross took care of that. Mm. I was like, oh, right. Thank you for reminding me. That's it. The cross took care of that. And so in my scramble to, you know, find hope in this thing or that thing or, ah, no, I can rest because the cross took care of it. Mm. Um, my identity is right there in what Jesus did. I, I don't need to prove myself to anybody. I don't need to make things happen. Um, I can just put a foot in front of the other and say, what does God have for us today? Or, or what does he, you know, I can plan. I'm a huge planner. You know, I love yeah. to plan. I love, I love to dream. I love to um, kind of have like a, you know, a five-year goal and, and work backwards from that. And all those things I love, that's my personality. But if I can keep my hope still firmly on, on Jesus, on God and what he has done for me, I don't have to feel like any of that needs to be what I have to do for him in order for him to love me more or to yeah. be pleased with me. He's already pleased because of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So talk about the transformation that you have gone through. Like if, if I had met you 20 years ago, um, <laughs> how would that compare to the Kendra that I'm, I'm speaking to today? Like what were your insecurities then? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying that all those insecurities are even gone now. Um, if, nope. <laughs> if, I'm, if I can just wager a guess here, right, you know, right. if you're like every other woman on the planet, there's still those insecurities. But what has that growth process looked like for you? And, and how do you compare to the Kendra of 20 years ago? So 20 years ago, I was 29 years old and we had four kids and uh, we were very much wrapped up in, in everything I just described to you about our life at the time. Um, and the insecurity came from always feeling like I was going to choose the wrong thing. I was going to parent the wrong way. Um, I needed to figure it out. I read, I read every parenting book on the planet. Um, every Christian parenting book for sure. Um, I was always trying to mine, you know, ideas and things, and this will be it. And this will be the good thing. And this will, this is the godly way to, this is the biblical way. And there, there is just no end to authors who will, who will provide that for you. I've Mm -hmm. learned too, you know, who want to tell you that this is the godly way. And the truth is, you know, in terms of parenting, I have eight unique individuals, very unique. We have some mental illness. Um, We have uh, ADHD. We have um, very driven individuals. We have very lazy individuals. (laughs) We've kind of got a smattering of everything. We've got the special needs child. We've got, you know, just 
all kinds of things. It's part of what makes parenting so many kids fun, you know, or even two kids, the differences between them. Isn't it fun to just oh, absolutely. Sort of like, yeah. So that's kind of, maybe that's the one fun. No, that, that's one of the fun <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, and so 20, you know, 20 years ago, I was just scrambling to try to do the right thing and, and to be the best mom and to, you know, whatever. And so now at this point, do some of my insecurities still exist? They do, but I can literally just sort of breathe and say, okay, wait, God's got this. And I, I always say I grew more spiritually in the last 10 years of my life than I did in the 30, 40 before that. Um, I was trying harder and doing more for 40 years. Uh, I, I saw my mom be a Bible study leader. Therefore, that's what a Christian woman does. I need to be a Bible study leader. Mm-hmm. I saw, you know, things that weren't said to me, but were were what I picked up and sort of felt like, well, that's what a Christian woman looks like. That's what I must do. That's how I must be. Um, I'm so glad you said that because I think that is one of the things that I am guilty of as well. You know, it's not necessarily the spoken expectations that other people heap on me. It is just those things that I perceive and those things that I assume um, right. that I place on myself is that that internal pressure. Um, so how, yep. how do we get past that? How well, did you get past it? I know. And that's, that's the thing that's so crazy is when I finally said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like I've screwed this kid up and I've screwed that child up and our marriage isn't that great. I mean, it's really good, but it's not, it's not perfect. And I really, if I'm being honest with myself, I really would have rather to have done this with my life for the last 10 years, but I had to pretend that I really loved parenting eight kids. (laughs) You know, I had to really pretend that I loved homeschooling people. Um, when I finally said, I, I'm going to, to remember who God created me to be, I'm going to let him do the heavy lifting. Um, I'm just going to rest. I, I stopped. This is very scary for a lot of people when I say this, but I stopped reading my Bible because it was a, it was a religious act for me. Mm. I realized that my whole life I had spent reading my Bible because I had to, because it was the right thing to do, uh, because it was assigned to my spirituality. And I didn't pick it up again for, for several years. Um, in, in a capacity of like, I really hunger for God's word. And I really want to spend some time, uh, in, in the Bible. (laughs) Oddly, crazy enough, um, there's this Holy spirit in our lives and this act of sanctification that God does on our behalf. And I still grew and I still, um, I, I feel like I knew God better than I ever had before. So more growth in the last 10 years, more satisfaction in, in God and in what Christ has done for me since I've stopped trying so darn hard. So that, I mean, I, I can't explain that. It, it's easier to take, to say, well, you need to do this. You need to be mm-hmm. in the word and you need to get up and do your quiet time and you need to um, take your children to Awana and you need to, <laughs> you need to be in a community group. And you need to be in women's Bible study. And, you, you know, like, it's easier yeah. for me to say all these things will do their work. And, yes, there's a place for all of those things. Um, God does good things uh, when we have spiritual disciplines in our lives. But they're tools. Right. And they are, not, they are not our salvation. They are not our hope. When we remove the tools and we just let God do his thing, 
it's funny the tools he uses. It isn't always what we think it's going to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's so yeah. true. And we have to check our motivation. You know, in that, that yeah. list of things that you just made, if we're doing all of those things because we feel obligated to do them or because we're expecting a certain result from them, right. then in my experience, they're going to be fruitless anyway. You know, it's just going to be an empty act. Um, but when we check our motivation, am I going to this community group because I really want to be surrounded by other like-minded believers? Is that my motivation? Yeah. Or is it a checklist where I think, okay, if I do this, God will be happy with me. Um, that's huge for me. Like, like getting to the root of it. Why am I doing this? Right. And that's a question that I didn't ask for myself for a long time because I just didn't feel that it was necessary. You know, I just thought, okay, well, this is what a Christian does. Um, it's a scary and, question too, because sometimes the answer is, oh, I don't really want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> if I let go of this, then what will they think of me? Yeah. You know, or, or what, if I, if I drop out of women's ministry or if I drop out of serving in the Sunday school ministry, or if I, you know, fill in the blank, then, oh, people are going to assume I've, you know, I've walked from my faith or, or, oh no, God, God wants me in there doing something. I mean, I, I you know, how many sermons have we heard that guilt us into believing all of that? Yep. Um, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I had a conversation with a, a, a bunch of um, people recently for, in a ministry that I write for and, and one of them is a pastor and somebody looked at him and said, you know, if you, if you give up the, all the to do's and the have to's, um, does the coffee get made at your church? Do people actually volunteer? And he just laughed. He goes, yep, the coffee gets made. We don't have to guilt people <laughs> into yeah. like serve, 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 serve. Yes, serve. Because that's, that's, that is a mark of, of, of a life changed by the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, but not because we feel we must, or we have to, or we have to check that box. Yeah, absolutely. My husband and I had a conversation about that last Sunday. Um, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I, I brought up the fact that I was wrestling with, sh should I be doing this? Like, it, should I have gone to this particular meeting? Should I have done this thing? And he said, Jenny, if you're not called to do it, no, there's no obligation there. Right. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those questions that creeps up all the time. Yeah. Because like yeah. I said before, it's just that slow fade. We just want to drift back into the, the performance, the behavior, that sort of yeah. thing. Well, and I think yeah. as women, for whatever reason, we're wired to fill gaps. We're wired to yep. help. We're wired to, you know, to, to fill the need and it doesn't always have to be us. And maybe mm. the need is um, not such a need. Maybe it's a want, you know, and, yeah. and then we're going to string ourselves out or, or burn out or, like you said, I mean, gosh, the outcome could be really negative. Yeah. <laughs> it's all positive. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. so true. Yeah. Yeah, because we think if it is something that is associated with God, then the outcome is always going to be positive. Yeah. And yeah. in in some cases, it's not going to be because if it, if it's not something that he has ordained for us, then it's not something he's going to bless. And, and we have absolutely. to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kendra, as we wrap up here, um, I just have a couple of more questions. One of the things that I want to know is what would you say to somebody who is struggling right now with living that performance-based life, with trying to earn love, salvation, grace, blessing, all of that? Like, What would be the one thing, if you could sit across from her, you would say to her? Oh, there's so many layers for all of us. You know, all of us have past and experiences that sort of inform why we're making those choices. And I think the bottom line at this point, uh, I love my friend Hannah's little saying, the cross took care of that. Um, and I say it often, uh, I write it um, because we forget, 
we forget mm-hmm. that the cross has really taken care of all of our striving, all of our straining, all of our need to be approved. Um, it's given us an identity as daughters and sons. It's given us uh, forgiveness once and for all. Um, it's given us redemption. We are redeemed. We are the redeemed. We don't need to con- you know, continue to seek redemption. We are the redeemed. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we're not going to blow it. Doesn't mean I'm going to make wrong choices. Um, but there's freedom in that too. Because when we when we make a wrong choice, when we fall, when we do the things that we're so carefully trying to avoid not doing, that's that shines the gospel even brighter because we see that. Guess what? I still need Jesus. It's st- oh, it's still about Him. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. So um, that I think in a conversation with someone that I would see striving my, my, you know, out of, out of love and grace, I would say, Hey, honey, the cross took care of that. And we get to, we really, truly just get to bask in the love of God. Um, Figure out what that means, because until we truly believe how loved we are by God, we can't start to live in the overflow of that love. And that is what changes everything in our lives. When we truly understand or believe or begin to understand and believe how loved we are by God. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think that might go on a post-it note on my computer. It's the cross took care of that. Yeah. Because, I mean, right. it's true in every situation, you know, in every worry we have, every fear, um, you know, every negative thing that could come against us, all of those things that consume us and fill our minds, the cross took care of them all. I mean, yeah. yes, we're going to have to walk through them. And yes, there will be, you know, implications from them. But at the end of the day, we can rest, as you said, we can rest in that and bask in his love and know that his love supersedes everything. Yes. That's hard for Western Christians. We're doers. We've got a good work ethic behind us. (laughs) Hundreds of years of that. And it's hard for us to just let God do his thing in our lives. But that's, that's it. That's everything. Well, and I think so much of learning to bask in God's love and rest in what he has done is also learning to recognize the enemy's work in our lives to, you know, to, to learn what his voice sounds like when he whispers to us and when he brings those temptations, you know, um, I think those are sort of two sides of the, the same coin. We can't ignore that the enemy is real and that he does exist. So when he shows up in your life, you know, when he whispers things to you, um, what does he say most often to you to threaten, you know, sort of your identity and your security in Christ? How do you recognize that? Yeah. Um, oh, that just happened to me yesterday. I'm trying to remember exactly what the situation was, but there was something yesterday where I, um, I, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> so I very often feel like a square peg in a round hole. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, it has to do a lot of with where I live. Um, I, I, I always joked with my husband, like I was, I was thrust into this community that I am nothing like. <laughs> and so it's very easy for me to, to go to an event, um, a professional event or a church related event or community event or a school event and feel like, uh, nobody here likes me or I'm weird or, um, these are not my people. And, and I, when that happens, I recognize it immediately. Like, okay, you don't have to be anybody's people. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're God's people. Yeah. You know, that's where your identity is. He didn't make a mistake in making you the way you are um, with the, the intelligence you have, with the interests you have, with, um, you know, whatever the, whatever the things that I feel very much like I'm in the wrong pond. Um, and, and he st- has a purpose for that. And, and he always takes care of me. But that is the lie I believe the most, I think, mm. is like, oh, I, nobody here is going to like me. Isn't it crazy? I'm almost 50 years old and I'm still like a kid on the playground going, I'm the weird one, you know? Yeah. But I, you know, I relate to that so much because my first thought when I walk into a room is people don't want me in this room, you know? Um, And, and I think a lot of that does go back to things in childhood and, you know, the insecurities that have plagued me for years. But I think so many people can relate to that. And even the person you would look at in the room, you know, who is the one getting all of the attention or the center of attention, I, I think that person would still say, I'm not sure I feel like I belong here. You know, that's just a universal. I think we all experience that. I I totally agree with you. In fact, I was I helped lead a table at a at a women's event recently at church and and this topic came up and I finally looked at these all these sweet women who are younger than I was around this table and I said, Hey you guys, how many of you feel like you don't fit in at this church? And every single woman raised their hand, Mm. every single one. And I said, does it shock you to know that I feel that way too? And the, you know, the woman next to me said, oh my gosh, yes, because I have an extremely extroverted husband who's an elder in our church and is upfront a lot and everybody loves him. He's just fun. And, you know, he makes you feel like you're the most important person in the room. It's just his personality. And so I think people assign that to me and I'm over here like, oh man, I'm the extra introvert. You know, and I, I'm not my husband. And, and it was so eye opening, I think, for all of these women to realize like, oh, oh, it's all of us. We all have that insecurity and we need to somehow figure out how to cross that line and find our people within that group that we think nobody likes us in, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons I love doing the show and talking to people is so that there is that awareness that we all have this in common. You know, we, we have this tendency to isolate ourselves and think, well, I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who's experiencing this. And I think when we bring that darkness into the light, that's when it changes, you know, when people understand, no, we all feel this way. And if we admit that to each other, then we can also hold each other up. You know, we can remind each other, you do belong and you can rest in the love and you don't have to earn anything. Um, So I'm so grateful that you, you know, are sharing your story of, you know, not just leaving legalism and, and not just what things were like for you 10 years ago, but, but even today, you know, how that insecurity shows up. Um, mm-hmm. Just thank you so much for your honesty. I just think it's going to really benefit people. Well, I think uh, when we live, when we live as loved, we can be honest. And that's the other beautiful thing. I don't have anything to defend anymore because I, mm-hmm. I you know, uh, there are times so I don't have this all sewn up, but there are times when I, I don't feel that way. But if I'm telling myself the truth, the truth is my identity is in Jesus and he's perfect. Yeah. And perfect love casts out fear. Yes. Amen. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate this conversation and um, I'm so glad that I came across your book because now Yay. I am a fan. So um, <laughs> great. Well, thank will you. you tell everybody where they can find you online? Yes. Yeah. Very simple. KendraFletcher.com. Uh, and it, it, (laughs) I probably write once a month there. So, um, but there are some free resources. If you're somebody who's leaving legalism or you feel like that would be 
you know, part of your journey helpful. There are some free things there for you. Um, and then of course the book is available. Yeah. Yeah. Well, go to Amazon, everybody and grab the book just like I did. It'll be there in two days and you will consume it in one day, which is what <laughs> happened with me. And sorts. you can see I have sticky notes and I have things underlined. Um, I just love, love it. it. So, yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, y'all, I'm so grateful for Kendra's experience here. It can be really hard to talk about the places we've been, but I think it's so important for us to do that, to give other people encouragement and wisdom from our own lives, and I'm just grateful for her. So we're off to another week, and as we go, I want to leave you with just this. You ready? God sees you. That can be easy to forget sometimes, can it? Sometimes we feel unseen and unnoticed and unimportant. And I just want to remind you that you are never invisible. You matter to the God of the universe, and He is never not paying attention to you. He sees you, and He knows you, and He loves you. And I just pray that you will live from those truths today. You guys have a great week, and we will see you back here next time.